Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey, what's going on, traders? Thanks for listening to the fourth episode of Chat with Traders. I really hope you've enjoyed the first three episodes and ideally learned a few things from the guests that have been on so far. If you haven't, then I think that's all about to change. Today's guest has ridden many waves of the financial markets since placing his first trade in 1985. With almost 30 years of skin in the game, Nick Radge is here to share some of the crucial lessons that have allowed him to not only survive, but consistently profit along the way. In addition to 30 years of trading, Nick also runs a highly successful stock market advisory service, The Chartist. He's also been featured on Michael Coville's Trend Following podcast, appears on Sky Business Channel once a month, and is the author of not one, not two, but three books. One of the things I really enjoyed about this interview was how Nick went into great detail about many aspects of trading that are not often discussed. I feel as though there's something in this for traders of all levels. Now, before we roll into the interview, please remember to visit Chat with Traders on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review if you like what you hear. By doing this, you will help us to reach even more listeners and the support is really encouraging. With that being said, I'm your host, Aaron Fifield. This is Chat with Traders and here is today's guest from the Sunshine Coast, Nick Radge. Hey Nick, awesome to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Aaron. So take us back to where it all started in 1985 for you. Um, how did you first discover the markets and what was it that really appealed to you? Well, I was an average student in school. I didn't go to university. I really had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. And um, uh, a friend of a friend worked at a big stockbroking firm and offered me a job as a clerk there, just pushing paper. I had no interest in the in the stock market or anything like that at the time. But uh, it was a job in the city, so I went along and, and quite enjoyed it. Um, as I said, it was pushing paper. It wasn't anything to do with the markets. But... Um, I had a stroll through the private client desk or private client area of that stockbroking firm and came across a gentleman who had some chart paper and was drawing some red and blue lines on that chart paper and it just kind of intrigued me and I asked him what he was doing and he showed me and basically it was a five and ten day moving average crossover strategy on the share price index futures. And I could just see the trends right there. He was saying when one crosses over, you buy, and when it crosses back, you sell. And, you know, back in 1985, it was a pretty strong bull market, so there were some nice trends showing there. So by the end of the day, I kind of had gone down to the stationery shop and bought my own chart paper and red pen, blue pen, black pen, and from that point, I just started plotting it. Um and I don't know, I don't know what it was, but something just clicked and it made sense. Um, and then uh, 
a few weeks later, I went into the old Wiley office manager and asked him if I could set up a trading account to trade futures, which was quite stupid in hindsight because back then the SPY was $100 a tick um, and I was only earning about $12,000 a year. So he kind of frowned a little bit and said, okay, well, so long as I sign off on each ticket and that's how I started trading. Okay, excellent. So um, you're right into it. Um, what were some of the early setbacks you encountered? So you were trading um, your personal account straight away. You weren't you weren't at the firm as a trader at any point, were you? No, absolutely not. Um, the they didn't have any trade. Well, they did have some traders upstairs on the money market desk, um, and that's the paperwork I was pushing their kind of trading activity, but on the floor that I was working on, it was just all brokers. So they had retail brokers and they had um, institutional brokers. And uh, I never really had any inspiration to go that way. It was just all kind of happening around me and um, it was just interesting. Sure. Okay. So once you did start trading with your, your own personal account, how did you go with that? Were you sort of a bit of beginner's luck or was there, you know, some early setbacks and expensive learning lessons in there or how'd you go? Yeah, well, back in 1985, you know, it, it was very different to what we have today. I mean, obviously, we didn't have the internet back then. We we didn't have the myriads of courses and seminars and books and trading magazines and data and software and all the stuff that you have today. Back then, I remember vividly, the only way you could re- get a real trading book was uh, request a catalogue from the US, which would take three weeks to get to you. Then, you know, it was a little black and white catalogue for books, and then you'd send one off, and six weeks later or eight weeks later, a book would turn up in the mail and that was predominantly it back then. So, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no money management, no nothing. All I had was a five and 10 day moving average crossover and a bull market and that's that's where the luck came from. Um, I guess my early setback was just when a little bit of greed set in. Um, we back in those days, you had a two-week settlement period. If you bought a share, you didn't have to give anybody any money for two weeks. And of course, the share market back then moved a, a long way in two weeks. Um, so we found a little bit of a loophole, if you like, and started trading in and around this loophole where you didn't have to pay for your shares for two weeks. And you know, after you make a little bit of money and you've seemed to be making this free money, then you just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, you know, then the 1987 stock market hit. So I learned a very, very expensive lesson very, very quickly. Um, but young and stupid and not knowing what I was doing, that's what was to be expected at some stage. So um, after that, I didn't do any trading for, for quite a number of years. Okay, sure. So what sort of led you back into it? Um, you know, after that, those few years, did you go out, get an education? You know, how'd you sort of ease back into it? Well, by that stage, I was actually working in the business. So um, I started off um, in the back office, as I said, but then went down to the trading floor of the Sydney Futures Exchange. And down there, there was different kinds of traders. You obviously had the scalpers and the day traders. Um, and then you also had a lot of institutional traders, bank traders coming in, mainly putting hedges on and that kind of stuff. And then you also had the big funds. Um, and back then, really, it was early days for the hedge fund industry or the CTA industry, um, as it was back then. And we used to see their business come into the pit and I was quite intrigued because they were 100% systematic in what they were doing and I'd never been exposed to that before. And that really interested me because they were obviously running computer models um, and that's where I started doing a lot more work and a lot more research. We had a a gentleman, um, Gordon Manning, in our office who had a computer that you were able to backtest on. And I remember going in after work each day and sitting in this room and plugging stuff into this computer. And back then, you'd push the button and close the door and have to come back in the morning, sort out all the paper because it would just spit out paper and then go through all the back test results. So it was the combination of seeing these big uh, systematic trend followers come into the market and what they were doing and also having access 
in the office to a computer that you could do some back testing with. And that's how it really got started for me again. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of it was sort of self-taught to a certain extent. Absolutely. 100% self-taught. Yeah. I have no formal qualifications um, in any way, shape or form. As I said, I didn't go to university. I've never done any kind of technical analysis um, courses or any trading courses or anything like that. 100% self-taught. And it's all from being involved in the business, both uh, personally and professionally and, and with a passion. I think that's the key difference right there. I think uh, you've got to have the passion because if you have the passion for something, you will find a way to make it work. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that one. That's, that's a really good point you make. Um, so let's sort of talk a little bit about your trading style. Um, you define yourself as a trend following trader. So how, how do you describe that? Um, and what are some of the benefits of it versus sort of the other sort of trading styles out there? Sure. The easiest analogy I can come up with for trend following is like being a hitchhiker. And we're not predicting the market, we're not analysing shares, we're not using any fundamentals in any way, shape or form. Uh, At the end of the day, any kind of trading, whether you're a fundamental investor, value investor or whatever, the The profit is made from price movement. Price has to move from A to B in order to generate a profit. That is the bottom line. It doesn't matter how it gets there, what drives it, but in order to turn a profit, price has to move from A to B. So as a trend follower, that's all we're actually interested in, following the trend from prices moving from A to B or B to C, wherever it may be. And if we use the analogy, I guess, of a hitchhiker, um, let's say you're in Brisbane and we need to uh, hitchhike to Cairns, which is in the north. So the first thing we're going to do is stand on the northbound lanes of the Bruce Highway. Um, for the simple reason that a car that is going to Cairns is more likely to be travelling in the northbound lane than in the southbound lane. So with the stock market, what we do is we position ourselves in the right direction of the price movement right there. The next thing with the hitchhiking analogy is that we don't know what car is going to stop, but if we stand on the side of the road for long enough, we do know a car will eventually stop. And same with the stock market. We don't know what stock is actually going to go up, but we do know somewhere, sometime, a stock will be going up. And then once we jump on board that ride, we don't know where it's going to stop. So, for example, if we hop on a ride in Brisbane, we don't know if it's going to stop here in Noosa. We don't know if it's going to keep going to uh, Rockhampton, Townsville, or maybe if we're lucky, it'll go all the way to Cairns. And same with the stock market. We don't know how far the share price is going to go, but we will stay on that ride so long as it keeps going in the right direction. And as soon as it turns around, we will hop off. The basic... Um, the basic premise of how we make money, therefore, is that when we get on a ride that lasts a long time, we make a lot of money. And when we get on a ride that doesn't do well, we only lose a small amount of money. So, look, we may only get it right 50% of the time. And to the average person, that probably doesn't represent a great deal of success. But mathematically, we make a lot more money on those 50% that we're right. We might make, you know, $3 on each one. And when we're wrong, we only lose $1. So mathematically, that's how we make money. And in my view, that's the easiest concept to understand. It's the easiest way to actually generate money in the markets. Um, psychologically, it's a little bit difficult because these rides don't come along every day. Um, the stock market especially um, offers, you know, quite high correlation. So you will have periods of time where lots of stocks are moving very, very well and you make a lot of money. But then there will also be periods of times when the stock market's kind of moving sideways and some of those rides aren't available. And that can be very, very frustrating. But you've got to take both sides of the equation. Um, you know, that's just the way the world works. Absolutely. Yeah, you described that really well. I might just backtrack a little bit there. You mentioned when you trade, you only lose a small amount. How do you ensure that is only a small amount? Have you 
got your stop losses in order before you even enter the market. I mean, how do you determine that you're only going to lose that small amount? Sure. Well, everything we do is planned in advance and that planning comes in the format of some kind of a a formula or mathematical equation. So we might say something very simple that we're going to buy this stock, let's call it stock XYZ. Um, We will follow the ride so long as it moves up. But if it moves down against us by let's call it 10%, then we will exit that position. So 10% loss sounds like a lot on an individual stock, but that's why we buy a portfolio of stocks. So in reality, each time we have a loss, it only represents half a percent or maybe even 0.8 of 1% of loss of our trading capital. So all our losses are very, very small. But if that stock keeps moving higher, we might make 10%, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Sometimes, you know, just recently we exited a trade in the Commonwealth Bank where we finished up with an 87% profit. So from the amount we win can sometimes be four, five, 10 times as much as the risk on the trade. And so long as we keep doing that over the longer term, we'll always be ahead. Of course, yeah. It's um, all about winning more than you lose. So. That's right. And the stop loss doesn't have to be anything complex. I think people like making things complex, but it doesn't have to be. The key trait here is, one, to remain invested when the market is going up and revert to cash when it's going down. That's a key component. And second of all, making sure your profits far outweigh your losses over the longer term. And that's, that's the bottom line. It doesn't have to really be any more complex than that. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say that trading is really simple um, a few times in sort of different talks you've had and that kind of thing. Um, why do you think people, do you think that people sometimes um, overcomplicate it? Oh, definitely. I, I think people believe that, well, it's not necessarily that they overcomplicate it. Um, I think that people don't understand that it's not a linear journey. It's not something that's going to make you money every day, every week, every month, every year. Uh, Nothing is like that in the world, you know. Uh, It doesn't matter if you invest in property. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a fundamental or value investor. I mean, Warren Buffett does not make money every day, every week, every month. In fact, Warren Buffett does have losing years, and sometimes he has significantly large losing years. It's a fact of life, but I think what happens with a lot of people is they – they have some kind of vision of a professional trader, makes money every day, every week, every month and every year. And look, I'm sure there are people out there that do that. But by the same token, you can be very successful and you can make a lot of money and become very, very wealthy without that. It's just not necessary. You know, the eighth wonder of the world is compounding. Um, and that's how Warren Buffett has become so wealthy, not because he makes 100% returns every year, you know, his annualised return, well, over the last 15 years has only been about 8 or 9%, but over the last 40, 50 years, it's been about 19%. Now, for the average man in the street, um, I guess there's two kinds. You've got the people that think to be successful, you've got to be making 100% a year, uh, and that's just not true. Uh, but they tend to be a lot more impatient and want things quicker, and they tend to be the ones that, that fail. And then you've got the, you know, more mature, been around the block, middle-aged kind of people that realise that the secret to success is being there for the long term, not necessarily making a lot of money very, very quickly. Um, so patience is very, very difficult for, for a lot of people to, um, to come to. Right, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something else I've, I've heard you talk about a few times um, also is um, your way of viewing trades as quantitative versus qualitative. Yeah. Do you want to maybe shed a little bit of light on that? Because I thought it was really interesting and probably something that isn't talked about as much as maybe it probably should be. Sure, absolutely. Look, I, I don't know too many people that talk about it at all. Um, I presented this back in 2009 um, at a conference in Melbourne and uh, to me, it's, it's 
you know, it's a significant part of, of the whole equation. So we've got two sides to trading. The first side we can call quantitative, and these are hard and fast rules that you will read about in any book, in any seminar that you attend, or anything like that. And it's it probably represents 95% of all material on trading out there. So as an example, let's use something like um, uh, don't risk more than 2% of your account, okay? It's a common rule, fixed fractional position sizing, it's technically known as. Everybody talks about it. It's in all the books. It's something that you can actually replicate. Um, a moving average crossover, for example, uh, would be another quantitative trait. It's something that you can replicate. You can physically see. Anybody can do it. Anybody has access to it. So anything you come across in a trading book uh, that you can do would be called a quantitative trait, okay? And most people believe that's all there is to trading. So uh, if we, you know, cut profits, uh, sorry, cut losses, let profits run, buy breakouts, trade a trend, will all be successful? Well, that is the case from a quantitative perspective, yes. But then we have what's called the qualitative perspective. And this, I believe, is the difference between professional traders and amateur traders. Qualitative is, let's use a, uh, the analogy of driving or teaching a teenager how to drive a car, okay, which is something that I've recently been through. So the quantitative sides of teaching a, a teenager how to drive a car would be put your foot on the brake to stop, put your foot on the accelerator to go forward, uh, turn the wheel to the left to go left, turn the wheel to the right to go right, things that your teenager can physically actually replicate and do. So that's the quantitative. With the qualitative, it's things like how do you teach a teenager to understand a dangerous situation on the road, okay? As we have experience, we can feel when a situation is dangerous. We can feel that the traffic is getting faster and closer and, and whatever. But how do you teach a teenager that when they don't have the experience, they don't have the feel? Um, uh, how do you teach a teenager that during wet conditions, it's going to be very slippery, you've got to slow down, you can feel the car sliding, if you like. You can feel that situation getting out of control. These are qualitative things. And when we talk about trading, we're talking about how do you teach someone that you've got to have 10 losses in a row. You can tell someone you will have 10 losses in a row, but the feeling of having 10 losses a row, then getting another signal and thinking, gee, do I take this signal or not? Because I'm not feeling very good about this strategy is a very, very different thing and you cannot teach that. So the qualitative traits are things that you can't really teach and these represent the hurdles that most people get stuck on. So, for example, most people think trading is linear, i.e. they make money every week, every month, every year, but that's not the case in reality. So, even if you have the most profitable trading system, you may still have a losing year. Now, it's very difficult to place trades every single day, every single week, every single month for a whole year and have a losing year because you haven't been paid for your effort. And, but this is what people need to understand will be the case. So the way I get over these kinds of things is that I research how the journey is travelled by many traders before me. So you can access the track records and performance reports of many great traders going back for 20, 30, 40 years and you can have a look at them. Uh, there's a gentleman in the US, David Drews. He has been uh, trading since 1981. Uh, he has an annualized return of in excess of, I think, 17% after performance fees have come out. Now, that is an exceptional track record. But you can go back and have a look at his monthly returns every single year through to 1981. And that gives you a good understanding of what he has had to go through in order to achieve that very good return. And I don't think that's what people, most people will not do. They don't accept that 
you can be one of the world's best traders and have a losing year. In fact, someone like David Drews, from memory, I think he's had five or six losing years in his career. Um, but people don't view a losing year as a trait of a successful trader. So as soon as you come to understand that that is actually the reality of it all, then you're in a much better position to be able to deal with those hurdles when they come along. And they will come along. They come along for everybody. So I think people have um, the wrong view of the world. Obviously, many people have been fed um, incorrect information. But you can go and access the track records of these great traders uh, even Warren Buffett, you can go back and take a look at his returns, see what he's been through. Let's have a think back to Warren Buffett, the great example in the late 90s when he rejected investing in tech stocks. Back then, everybody said that, you know, he'd lost the plot. Um, you know, uh, he, he's, he's had his day in the sun. It's all over. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. You know, it didn't affect his long-term return. Um, so I think the qualitative traits, things that you can't teach, uh, having a losing streak, um, is one thing, having a losing period of time, placing 200 orders and not making any money. Well, that happens, you know. Mm. We might try and, um, find some of those, uh, track rec track records and, um, put them in the show notes because I think they're quite interesting. Um, I was saying like when you actually sort of zoom into a, a certain section, as you mentioned, like one year, you can sort of see in the shorter term how it was a losing year, but in overall, um, as the years go by, it's, you know, a nice up curve. Um, sure. So I think we'll put those in the show notes because they're really interesting. Yeah, I mean, a good example recently I was looking at and certainly added in there, Campbell & Co. Is a, is a big fund in the US and they manage over $2 billion. So it, it's not small cheese. I mean, it's it's big money. Now, you know, they, they have had a number of years of going sideways, um, but they've been in business since 1971. They don't change what they do. Um, they just accept that that's part of the journey. And I guess if we look at that in in, in real life, um, outside of trading, let's think of something like airlines. Let's think of something like Qantas. I mean, at the moment, I'm pretty sure you can walk down the street and most people would tell you the last thing they want to own and want to own is an airline stock. But we don't see Qantas getting into iron ore mining or we don't see them getting into um, any kind of technology or into banking or anything different. They're an airline. That's what they do. But they understand that sometimes the airline business uh, goes through good periods and bad periods. They don't change what they're doing. Let's, you know, Jerry Harvey with Harvey Norman. Retailing goes through good periods and bad periods, but he doesn't change his business model just because of that. We can look back to the GFC, and the last thing you wanted to be was a bank. But they endured, they got through that, well, most of them did anyway, um, and now they're all still very, very successful companies. They didn't change their business model. So I think what happens when most people come to the trading arena with the qualitative trades, when things get a little bit tough, they change direction completely and they go for something else. And that uh, roundabout, if you like, just going around and around in circles, looking for the holy grail is what actually undoes them in the long term. Yeah, they get stuck on what you've called the beginner's cycle. Um, exactly right. So there must be a point when, you know, you, you talk about riding out these losing streaks. Some people say, you know, you take three or four, if you take three or four losing trades, you need to stop, step back, reassess what you're doing and, you know, maybe back test for a while, paper trade, just whatever that might be. You're sort of saying that you just sort of got to push on through it, just keep pushing that button and executing. As the opportunities come up, um, is there a point when you sort of got to step back and say, this isn't working? Um, yes, you, you've got to firstly and foremost, before you even start trading, is understand why your strategy will make money. Okay, that's the key right there. If you don't know why your strategy is making money, then 
you're going to find it very difficult to, to keep pushing forward when the time comes. So, for example, let's take a basic trend-following strategy um, that trades long only in equities, okay? So, we know that our mathematical expectancy is creating by riding trends and cutting them, cutting the losses short. So, that's how we make money. But we can also know, intuitively know, that sometimes the stock market will go through periods where it's either going down and we may stay in cash or it's trendless and goes sideways and we have a little bit of a whipsaw. Now, that's something that's happened in the small ordinaries here in Australia over the last couple of years. The small ordinaries is basically at the same level as it was four or five years ago. So, it has been trading sideways. So, there are small windows of time in there. I remember the last quarter of 2010 as an example, where in a three-month period of time, the trend-following model made about 24% return. And for the other eight, nine months of the year, it did absolutely nothing. So, most people I've come across would be pretty happy for a 24% return, no doubt about that. But most people also come across are not happy sitting there for eight months waiting for that great three-month period to come along. So, to get back to your question, you have to know why your strategy makes money. That's, that's the key. If you're doing 10 different things and you, you have no idea why that is making money, then you've got to change that. You know, you've got to understand why. And once you understand why your system will make money, then you can start to answer questions as to why it's not doing so well during those periods of time. So, again, I know why a trend-following model in the resource stocks is, wouldn't be doing particularly well at the moment because the resource sector is, is, is underwater and going down. It doesn't mean the model is broken. It just means that it's out of sync with the market and one day it will come back into sync. So, what a lot of amateurs try and do is avoid those periods of time, whereas a professional doesn't avoid them. They accept that that's part of the journey. And rather than avoid those periods of time, what you should do is add a secondary or a third system or strategy to the mix. So, you have different strategies doing different things that make money in different environments. Um, I think a lot of people want to avoid the pain completely. I mean, I guess that's natural human tendency to avoid the pain. But rather than avoid the pain, what you should do is keep pushing through and add more strategies to the mix to diversify. Okay. So, when you say strategies, um, what do you mean by that? Like learning sort of extra buying signals or um, looking for different patterns and setups? Do you want to just elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, personally, for example, my core strategy in the Australian share market is a trend-following model, okay? That is my core exposure to the Australian market. It's a breakout model, which means we buy strength, sell weakness. Um, it has an average holding period of six to eight months, and we tend to trade uh, small cap stocks outside of the ASX 100. So, that's, that's the basic premise of that model. Then in the US market, I also run a short-term mean reversion strategy. So, very different in many aspects. One, it's trading the US market, specifically the S&P 500 stocks, so a completely different market. Second of all, it's trading a completely different style. Rather than buying breakouts, it's actually buying dips. So, it's buying into weakness rather than breakouts. It is doing uh, a lot more frequent trading. So, we do 800 to 1,000 trades a year in that strategy, which gives us a little bit more consistency rather than the 25-odd trades in the trend-following model. And lastly, the average hold time is only three days. So, you're diversifying across different markets, different timeframes, different styles, all sorts of different things, and you're getting a completely different return profile uh, than you would with a trend-following model. So, rather than, and last year is a very good example. So, last year, I think the trend-following model that, I've, uh, that I use in Australia, I think, had a minus 12% year, one of the first losing years we've had since the GFC. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's not good enough, I'll go on to something else. Whereas, that's part and parcel of the journey we're trading. But the US model, 
or our US models uh, made anywhere between 22 and 45% return last year. So one model in one market didn't do particularly well, but over the longer term, it will be perfectly fine, whereas the other model did exceptionally well. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. I haven't avoided the drawdown. I haven't said trend following doesn't work anymore, and I'm not going to do that. So it will always work. It has to work. Stocks have to trend. They can't not trend. But they can go through these periods of time where we go sideways. So uh, rather than avoid that 12% negative year um, or take an opinion that the next year won't be any good, I stick with it. But I add other models to the mix that will help diversify. Okay, cool. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think we may have already covered this a little bit, but just so we're really clear, I mean, you're in the business of dealing with quite a few novice traders. Where would be one of the key areas you see them slipping up? And what would your advice be to overcome these setbacks? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's probably a few areas where uh, people slip up on. Let me talk about two in particular that don't get spoken about a great deal. First of all, commission drag. I think it's a very key reason why a lot of people fail. A lot of people come into the stock market, even when they're well capitalised, they come into the stock market and say, well, I've never done it before. Um, I'll just start with $3,000 or $4,000 and see how I go. Now, when you're paying a broker $20 to buy and $20 to sell, it doesn't actually take a huge amount of transactions to chew up your account or a significant amount of your account. I had a gentleman in the office recently, and he was the father of a friend of mine, and he wanted to buy this whiz-bang trading system that was being, um, uh, that was being sold. And I showed him that he needs to make 22% per annum just to break even. And the simple reason for that was the quantity of trades that this strategy was doing, the broker that he had to use, and the commission drag that the strategy created. Uh, he had to make 22% per annum just to cover those costs. Now, I don't care how good you are, 22% per annum is a big, big ask. And if you've never traded before, it's an impossible task. So he had to go away and have a good think about whether he changed broker, which he really didn't have an option, or he included more capital into there so that drag went down. So I think a lot of people come into the business not understand that these peripheral costs can actually chew up the account significantly and make it almost impossible, mathematically impossible, to be successful. I think the other core trait uh, that people fail at is they simply don't understand what the journey entails. And we've discussed this already to some degree. Um, you know, the journey of trading does entail losing trades. It does entail periods of time of losing, and it may entail having a losing year. It's very, very difficult for the average person to accept that they can place trades for a whole year and have a losing trade um, or have a losing year. 
And until they accept that, they're going to find it very, very difficult to, to be successful in it. Um, yeah, sure. I would like a strategy that makes money every day, every week, every month, every year, as anybody would, but it doesn't exist. I'm a realist. I understand that. And as I said earlier on, there might be a few people out there that do have that, but I don't, and you don't need that to be successful. Um, I think if people take a longer-term view of applying the strategy – rather than micromanaging a strategy and trying to avoid those bad periods of time when they come along, they'll be a lot more successful. Mm. Okay, that's great. This just made me think of something else. You were talking about commissions there. So some people might be paying $20 in, $20 out. That's a $40 round trip. If you take a step back, you were talking earlier also about maybe only risking 1% of your account. On a smaller account, say around $5,000, you can't really buy too big of a position with that. The market's got to move quite away just to cover your $40 commission. Uh, am I right in saying this? That's correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah. If you're going to use correct risk management tools such as fixed fractional position sizing or the 1% or 2% rule, you know, first of all, you're not going to be able to actually do too many trades. And second of all, your position size is going to be so small that yes, the market has to move a phenomenal distance in order to just cover your costs. So I understand that there are certain people out there that say you can trade with $1,000 or you can be successful with $1,000. And look, I'm sure there's people out there that have been, but there's also people out there that win the lottery. But for the very vast majority, the chances of success are very, very low to, to nothing. So I'm just talking about probability of success. I'm not talking about impossibility. I'm talking about probability. So trading is difficult enough as it is. And there are certain aspects of successful trading that you can control. And one of those aspects is your commission rate. You can go and move from a high-priced broker to a discount broker. You can do that yourself. Um, it's common sense to, to make it as cheap as possible for your own bottom, you know. The second thing is um, you can control the amount of capital or you should take responsibility for the amount of capital that you want to put in. If mathematically you start with $5,000 and you want to be a short-term trader and you're going to have to make 40% return just to break even, well, that's your responsibility to, to remove that. You've either got to don't trade, wait till you've got more money, or put more money in if you can. So it comes down to the responsibility of the individual to, to make that happen. And a lot of people don't. They go, oh, I'll just give it a go and see how I go. And of course, they're going to fail. So um, it's important to make things easier for yourself, those things that you can control, and that way the probability of success will increase. Okay, excellent. So just one other thing um, I wanted to ask you. Um, how do you track your pro your progress? Does it all come down to the value of your account or do you sort of um, regularly set goals? Do you document every trade and then sort of reassess afterwards? Um, do you have any sort of method behind that? I personally don't. At the end of the day, your account balance is going to tell you how you're going. That's the bottom line. Uh, I've been doing this for almost 29 years now, so I get a good understanding of, of what the market's doing and why my strategies may be underperforming. Um, so, so long as I understand that, I'm not really concerned about what's going on. Um, if I don't understand why a strategy is performing, then I will certainly look into it further and research that. And look, we have had those incidences in the past. Um, I used to trade a strategy in the Australian market that just seemed to be going nowhere to backwards um, and it just made no sense as to why that was happening. So we researched that and went through uh, about four years worth of trades and we found out the problem was the wanted price that we or the price that we wanted to buy or sell at was actually considerably different to the price we actually got filled at in the market. And we calculated that on every single trade we made 
for that four-year period, we paid an extra $45. So the bottom line was that slippage was costing us between 11 and 15% per annum. And that comes down to the Australian market just being illiquid. But that's why the strategy wasn't working because uh, the illiquidity was meaning we were paying away in slippage but consistently, you know, having slippage on one or two trades is fine. Having slippage of $45 on every single trade you make, well, that adds to the bottom line considerably at the end of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that definitely soon add up. So, yeah, backtesting was very important there. Um, all right, so this sort of moves us towards the end of the um, interview. So we'll go into the closing bell, which is um, a series of just sort of short, sharp questions that we ask um, everyone on the show. So... What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah, I, I think understanding why your strategy makes money. That's, that's key. If you don't know why your strategy makes money, you, you're never going to make it work if things get a little bit difficult. So the more you can understand why your strategy makes money, the better you'll understand the market and why a strategy is not working well during that period of time and that really helps the bottom line success. But I think a lot of people just throw good money after bad, just punting around if you like. They don't really have any kind of rhyme or reason or if they think they do, they don't really understand why it's making money. Um, So I, I think that's the best piece of advice that I've ever got, understand why your strategy makes money. I think that's really important. Very, very, very good. So, next one. What What does a typical day in the life of Nick look like? What does your um, daily trading routine look like if you have one? I'm a little bit different, I guess, to what the model trader would be. Um, I'm what's called an end of day trader, which means I download my data at the end of each day. I run my strategies place my orders for the next day, and that's pretty well it. I don't sit there and watch prices through the day. I've got better things to do in my life than do that. Um, So generally, first thing in the morning, um, we run our US strategies, and I place those orders. That tends to be done by 8, 8 a.m. in the morning, 8.30 a.m. in the morning. And once that's done, I'm, I'm done with the US market until the next day. And then after the ASX bell each evening, I would um, download the data, run our strategies, place those orders, then I'm done. So that's that's pretty well the routine. It's It doesn't take long. Some of our strategies only take five or 10 minutes. Um, that seems a little bit difficult to understand. For some people, I understand, but it's taken 29 years to get to that point. Everything we do is predominantly automated now. The computer does most things. We simply put our account balance in the computer. It tells us how many shares to buy, where to buy, where to sell, and uh, it can actually place the orders for us. So we've got that routine down pat. Awesome. Good one. So what is the one trading resource you couldn't live without? I would say the one trading resource that I couldn't live without would be the ability to backtest our strategies. I am the kind of person that needs to know what and why the strategy is, how it operates, uh, how it's operated in the past, and that will give me a very good understanding of how it's expected to operate in the future. So the software we currently use is AmiBroker. Um, so I think that's a core resource that I couldn't do without. Very good. What is one book you believe is a must read for any trader just starting out? Um, that's a good question. I think if you're an absolute beginner, um, trading for a living by Dr. Alexander Elder would be a, a very good start as a very basic introductory book. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, I think if you're looking to do any kind of basic trading, that would be a great place to start. If you're more specific in your needs, for example, that you want to manage your super fund, be an active investor, well, you know, my book, Unholy Grails, would be a great place to start because it builds a strong foundation um, without going into all sorts of other areas. Um, But yeah, those two books would probably be the best. Okay, great. 
Knowing everything you do now, what would you have done differently come day one again? Stick to the strategy. Um, uh, look, I've fallen in the trap where I warn people today about the exact same thing. You know, the beginner's cycle, um, it's, it happens to everybody. It's happened to me. I've certainly had strategies and then doubted them and then gone off on a tangent and then come back and thought, gosh, why did I go off on that tangent? Why didn't I just do it? So, you know, I think that you have to find a strategy that suits your personality, understand why that strategy works, and do not deviate from it. Just let it run and let it go. If you find that strategy has periods of time that make you feel uncomfortable, then rather than deviate from the strategy, add other strategies to it to diversify. So I think that's the big key, staying with the strategy over the longer term. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Nick, next level responses. Thanks so much for giving up your time to share so much value with myself and the listeners. Um, before you go, do you want to tell us the best way we can connect with you and uh, then we'll wrap things up? That's great. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Well, the best place to connect is through our website, thechartist.com.au. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter, um, thechartist.com.au or via our book, Unholy Grails. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. We'll put those links in the show, show notes below. Great stuff. Thanks for having me, Aaron. You're welcome. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.